Namaste and in La Catch and welcome to this episode of One World in a New World. I'm your host, Zen Benefiel, and this week's guest is a very interesting young woman. Her name is Elizabeth Mikatowicz, and she is an artist, a fashion designer, a writer, and an activist. And she's got a very interesting story about uh, painting murals. I'll just drop that for now, and, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Elizabeth, or Beth, glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. You're very welcome. I'm excited about the, the conversation we're about to have. Um, <laughs> So, you know, when you were younger, we always talk about, you know, living half outside and half inside. We're bereft of the inner understanding and all that. And it's there are worlds inside, right? And we kind of get in touch with those as kids. What was your experience like? Uh, because you've already noted in our previous conversation that you're really highly sensitive, maybe high-functioning high autism, things like that. Labels really don't matter. We're just super, super sensitive. And that's okay, right? It doesn't necessarily yeah. make us so different that we don't belong and need right. a label as evidence. Or a diagnosis. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So how, how did it begin and, and what, what was know, it? I was always a very imaginative kid. And, you know, from a young age, like I knew I wasn't like the other kids. Like, you know, I had a couple friends here and there, but like, I was just kind of like a little weirdo off in my own little world. And I always had sleep issues, you know, even from a very young age, like I would keep, you know, five years old, I'd be keeping my mother up at like two in the morning because I just couldn't sleep. Mm. Or, you know, when I finally did go to sleep, it would be, you know, after, you know, 18, 24 hours, you know, and I'd finally crash, but I would have these intense, insane dreams, you know, and like, I would, I loved the dreams where I could fly. That's why I loved being asleep. Like, I think it's really cool. I, yeah, I rather would be asleep because I, as a kid, I, I had such cool dreams and I would fly to all these places and do all these cool things. And, you know, it was very strange. And I, no one ever thought anything of it. And it's funny because my daughter, kind of can do the same thing and she would talk to spirits when she was you know little and you know at the preschool I was at um in Bangor Maine it's called Hilltop well it used to be this old orphanage and it went through the um Spanish flu or whichever plague was in like 1918 or something mm -hmm. and so there the spirits of all these little kids are there and I never wanted to play with the kids there like I was always off with these little spirit kids and you know I remember like telling my dad like they won't come home like they never go home and you know they just they just stay there and they just hang out right yeah <laughs> and, well, I don't know and, and you know uh, it's somewhat rare or has been at least the openness in talking about it it, it really takes some vulnerability to share those kinds of things because to most adults, it sounds really whack, right? Because right. our our world is not built on inner understanding or understanding the imagination. May not be the imagination. That could be you operating on other planes of consciousness, which we now know about. Right. right? Quantum right. theories have, have been presenting uh, since 
well, there was a, a quantum theory that came out in 2010 that posits that consciousness, space, and time are tethered across nine dimensions. So yeah, that's you know, crazy. I had the experience, a direct experience of nine planes of consciousness akin to the nine dimensions. Yeah. And aligning those in 1989, it was a process developed by William Swigard back in the 1950s. Wow. So these kinds of things are there. It's just most of us don't seek them out. Right. I was like in denial. Like I just, you know, I experienced a sort of mental health issues, you know, through puberty. Like I went through these depressed episodes and, you know, there's issues going on, you know, with my family and, you know, adoption and, you know, all that stuff. And what was it like finding they, out you were adopted? Oh, I always knew. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I always knew. And I always wondered about it. And I actually ended up meeting my biological family when I was 18. And, you know, even if you have a really good upbringing that isn't traumatic, isn't violent, you know, there's always trauma with adoption. You know, it, it, it just, it's that way. And yeah, it took kinds. me... Yeah, you know, whether it may be, not like physical, you know, PTSD trauma, but no, you know, it, the, the trauma is in unanswered questions. Yeah. Right. And I had the same thing. I was orphan adopted as a kid. And that's what sent me inside is once I found out I was adopted, you know, it was like the regular questions why, who's my biologicals, you know, um, how did I get here? And, and am I loved or. Right, or, or right. Stuff. But there was another question that I was led to, and I guess it must have been because I had some early church experience, but I questioned, hey, do I have a father and mother in heaven, and can I talk to them? Right. Sure enough, I could. Now, or something became available that was wise, uh, mentoring, warm, loving, always give giving the, the right... Um, data if you will right no but you gotta ask the right questions first yeah <laughs> so uh, is that kind of your experience did you find because of that did you look into that um next level communication beyond yeah. this world i well see i like didn't think there was anything special about me i just thought i had you know maybe yeah, I heard the news. Like, hey, so, i can do this everybody else can too right 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 and you know it wasn't till you know i right before i moved to illinois when i was 18 i started having dreams every night about you know body bags being you know hauled out of my cousin's house well the first three weeks i get there it was a domestic violence situation. She ended up stabbing him. And so that was my first, like, oh my God, that was like a premonition, like dream. Like I literally had that. I never have repetitive dreams, but I did with that. And I just knew something bad was going to happen. And that's when I was first like, okay, maybe I should like start listening to, you know, that gut feeling and start paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, then, you know, but how like, do you do that, right? When you're right. in that situation, you have these dreams, they're about people that you know, and you know that there's nothing that you can control. You're just being given information. Well, what do you do with it? How do you handle it? Um, right. You process that kind of thing, especially if that pattern continues to repeat with others. You know, right. this is like, it, it can be really challenging. How did you deal with yeah. it? Well, I didn't know exactly how to deal with it. I was, 
I found out I was pregnant out there and I got pregnant with my daughter and her father got into meth and what started, you know, beating the crap out of me because I was pregnant and super sick with her. I couldn't really defend myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the start of, you know, my life going right to hell and, you know, ended up leaving him. That was like, not like that just wasn't an issue after a certain point. But when I got with my daughter's father, he was like fight, you know, my daughter's father, he was like fighting a girl that could beat me up. Like it, he, it's not like he could really hurt me, but like he was still stronger than me. And especially when I was pregnant, but when I got with my son's father, he hit me once and I'd be in the hospital, you know, with my skull showing. And, mm -hmm. you know, this was, you know, I didn't do drugs before that. Like I, I liked my weed and beer and that was fine with me. And, you know, after that head injury, you know, the doctors, you know, Gave, gave me opioids. And when I tried to refuse, they threatened me with child protective services because I was pregnant. And they said that it put the baby at risk. And I'm like, yeah, now that I know what I know about opiates, like, I'm still mad about that. I know I need to like woosa and let it go. And, but I'm still mad about that. You know, well, the whole pharmaceutical world is built on profit over people right. and planet. It's not about people. It, it's about the profit. Exactly. And unfortunately, because it and really... You know, they got us all addicted. Right. And they got us all addicted. And the rehabs, they have a 94% failure rate. You know, my friend got kicked out because he drank a cup of coffee in the wrong, you know, area of, of the rehab. They kicked him out for that. No refund, $30,000. And they just filled that seat right, you know, right after they kicked him out. That sounds a little extreme. There had to have been a, a bit more that if this was a story from him, that there's always two sides, right? And right. But, and, you know, and I will say lot. that people in rehab don't tell the truth. That is true. But, you right? know, they, they hide themselves in and often blame others in situations uh, because that's one of the reasons they're there. They don't take responsibility for their own behavior. True. But jails and rehabs have very petty rules. Like, you know, I'm sure you're, they get, probably you're, getting, do. you're getting nailed to the ground because you brought a packet of ketchup from your cell. I've watched this happen to people because right. they brought a ketchup packet to the dining hall. Cause you're not supposed to bring anything in or anything out. Like that's harmless. Like leave people alone. Like you don't like, and so like, I've just seen too One many. One would petty think however, in the, the stream, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying yeah. that we can see how the means of, of controlling environments can be so strict and prohibitive because the kind of people th that they're dealing with, right? And from that perspective, they're wanting to maintain order and be in control because oftentimes what happens in the uh, prison body, if you will, is far beyond the guard's control. Yes and, and no, but, you know, that's a very big motive for, you know, they tell you when you sign that, that the paperwork at rehab it's no refunds if you get kicked out that is a very big motive to just kick people out you know one oh, after sure. From, especially with back. private security yeah. and or private prisons and private rehabs and all of that tied in again to the profit system so i hear what you're saying um, right. and this that's just wrong now how do we deal with that which is kind of what you eventually got into uh 
and before we get that, so in this process, you, as I understand it, um, you had some challenges in maintaining um, your health and well-being as far as your safety, your security, place to live, which yep. which got you because of the doors that closed to were closed to you for yeah. whatever reasons. You had to go elsewhere and find something instead, right? It wasn't your first choice or even second choice. It was just a matter of this is all I got right now. Yep. Um, and and he ended up in a bad situation and uh, and got caught and spent some time because of it. Yep. Now, while you were in, you began to find yourself again and restore that inner being. Uh, how did you do that? What what began that process? Well, it kind of all depended on which institution I was at because some of them I was, you know, just fighting to keep my sanity. I mean, the horrible things that they do to women in there. I mean, it's just it's absolutely unreal. You know, I was still under the illusion of white supremacy that, you know, everything was good now and that everyone's treated equal. And, you know, there are no, you know, there, there is no classism system, you know, by race in, you know, in this country. And it, it wasn't until, you know, they walked me Can't up. That, necessarily so. Right. Now, but then when I got walked up and I saw it for what it was, and I saw what was still happening and how they're still committing genocide against certain groups, you know, that was really awful to watch. You know, I, I hated watching women die, you know, for no reason other than someone's got an authority complex or, you know, they just don't want to do their job. And so I, I started writing. Um, there was a style of art that I got into called Zen Tangle art. And it's like doodle, it's like doodle art, but you it's meditative. Well, I like the Zen and, part anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I started doing that because I had to distract myself from my trauma because it literally got to the point where I was having PTSD flashbacks so bad, I was hallucinating. It didn't help that they were, you know, forcing me to take all these medications that weren't helping me, that it was for a wrong diagnosis and, you know, just every, you know, what well, had that, to be really just messed up in that, you know, they're trying to get you to be somebody completely different than what, than who or what you were. And, and they that, weren't trying. That naturally, I, it was fine. Well, well, with the, yeah, the treatments, the, the, and I understand that maybe it didn't seem like that, but with the types of diagnoses and the drug treatments and things like that, um that's telling someone to kill themselves in solitary isn't treatment it's abuse that well my point exactly <laughs> right that's why i'm saying the drugs the the treatment the control mechanisms right and the rampant misuse of power yeah um, what did you do about it how did you how did you work through it two questions first how did you find solace with, within through the artwork that you discovered? And then, and then we'll take it to the next level. I won't ask that question yet. So my art would distract me because, you know, with my neurodivergence, like it was very, it's very hard for me to move on to the next, you know, thing 
you know, mm -hmm. if, especially like with racing thoughts and trauma, it'll just like go right back to the beginning. And so You're right. high, high spectrums are OCD but exponentiated. Yeah, it's and so I had to find a way to distract myself, you know, because talking about it wasn't doing anything. It was re-traumatizing me and it was giving people ammo to use against me. So I just, you know, didn't want to do that. So the art would yeah, like I said, the art would distract me. And I'm also working on my own Zentangle coloring book for adults. And I'm putting down um, a whole bunch of like trauma coping mechanisms that really helped me. And um, awesome. That's, that's a great way to share what you learn so that you can help others. We don't want to go down the roads like you've no. been through. And yet that's still happening. And as long as it is, when you can lend a hand to others who are coming out of it, that's just super yeah i'm trying <laughs> um but i'm sorry what was the other part of that question <laughs> i hadn't asked you yet I was, I was asking how you got involved with the art what what kind so the zen tangle oh, what, yes it's like doodling but is it yeah it since you know i'm you getting pick, the, the thought like pick, it's like automatic drawing or something like that yeah or, so you can there's a couple different ways you can do it you can like the first, the easiest, most generic way is just draw like a couple scribble lines. And, you know, on every segment, you pick a pattern from the book and you just draw that pattern. And then you go to a different section and you pick a different pattern and then you see what you have at the very end. But you can do this with like regular coloring books and regular drawings. And that's what I started to do in, you know, when I was in there, I would, you know, like draw like a rose or something and then do the zentangle art like in the rose and so it's like you don't have to be good at art or drawing or anything it's just simple little patterns well that... it, it, it's allowing your creative side to come out because this is what gets thwarted with all this activity that that you know natural being right. creative spark that you have that we all have gets diminished and you feel a little helpless and trying to right. and and the spiritual experiences that you do have is terrifying you mm -hmm. know i remember being you know beyond intoxicated and thinking i died and gone to hell because i was seeing these shadow people you know all over the place and i was hearing conversations that later on i found out were actually happening but it was weird because I was like, I was so intoxicated and I thought the person was like somewhere in the house and I just couldn't find them. And come to find out they, 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 they weren't there obviously, but these conversations really did happen. Like I just found out later on, you know, mm -hmm. when, and it was, yeah. So I've, I've always had this theory that, you know, amphetamines like meth and, you know, all that stuff, like it can create a spiritual opening just more on a very demonic side, a very dark side. I, I'm having a, a challenge with considering that to be spiritual. Um, because well, demons my, are, my are supernatural beings. My understanding of spirituality, the core of, spirit, of the understanding of spirituality is everything is connected, starts there. Now, the yes, individual experience, which is outside of that realm, because in that area where your life is not congruent with the natural order that... I think spiritual is the wrong word. Supernatural. 
because it was a it was sure, a supernatural that, that, experience. That fits a little bit beyond because it is, or, or maybe just paranormal. Yeah, and that would mean that you know there are other energies. There are things that you know, depending on where our energy is, it's like the law right. of attraction. What you, what your attention, your intention, your actions are, that's what you're going to attract. And when you're in a diminished condition, all you're going to do is beat up on yourself and you're going to expect everybody else to. That's the core um, essence of that feeling like you're less than, right? right? Not only are you taught that, you eventually believe that. And because you believe that, then you begin attracting all the energy that proves it to you because that's your belief. Now, can you change your belief? How did you change your belief and what happened as a result? Well, I was kind of like, I had to, I had to like rewire my brain literally because, mm -hmm. you know, even when I got out and I was talking to, like, I started talking to state reps about, you know, getting bills passed, you know, at first I was like down on myself, like, why would they listen to me? Like, you know, I'm just a felon recovering, you know, addict, you know, why would they That's listen to me? Point. And then you I put changed. in a box and you diminish yourself, right. you don't let yourself come out of that box because you're, you've trapped yourself in the box when right. there's something that needs to be done, then you step up and go do it like you did. So how did but, the process happen? Well, I, then I changed my thinking, you know, to why wouldn't they listen to me? You know, I'm their failed statistic. I've seen every crack in their system and why it doesn't work and why it's destroying everybody. You know, I saw it, I got dragged through it. So, mm -hmm. you know, why wouldn't they listen to me? And, you know, come to find out most of them up on, you know, from their ivory towers really don't know. They really don't have a clue what the problem is and where, where the issues are because they can't And unless see you it. have a direct experience of it, you never will. You can understand exactly. in theory and, and if you meet someone that can articulate it well enough so that you can lead them down the logic path and, and use critical thinking and expose all these different things that gosh, that just doesn't sound or feel right, right? Because the mistreatment, right. the abuse, the uh, the manipulation, all those kinds of things. So you've got some ears listening to you. How did that feel? It felt good. It felt really empowering. And it felt like, you know, maybe all that hell I went through and put myself through is, you know, at, at the end of the day, I had to realize I was addicted to the trauma because, you know, mm -hmm. it's not that I liked it. It's not that I enjoyed it. It was that I could not sit with peace and be like, oh, okay, everything's fine. I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And being in the midst of chaos was easier for me than to wait for it to happen. And so that's what I had to, you know, face and, you know, deal with and, I don't know. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you think that in the midst of that chaos, that there's patterns that you haven't recognized yet that cause it to feel so? Absolutely. I'm still working on myself. I'm not standing here saying, oh, I'm completely cured and I am like enlightened. I'm so far from like enlightenment and like I'm still on a healing journey. Like I'm still yeah. working on it. Some people day. think I am. I, I'm still, I'm, you know, I'm human. I, Right. working on myself and, and I do it on a daily moment to moment basis. I think we all do once we start on that path. It's yeah. never ending, right? Yeah. It's the journey. 
right? Yeah. The beginning, those <laughs> synchronicities, the serendipitous moments that like you had in finding your way toward the legislators or the people to talk to, to get the bills written, first of all, you know, how is that? What, what synchronicities did you notice? Cause I'm, I want you to pay, pay particular, and you may not have yet, as of yet, looked at it from this angle. What do you remember were the unexpected benefits or gifts that were offered to you along the way because of your tenacity in getting this work done? Um, Did you understand? Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I got, you know, okay. really any, I guess I'm just happy that, you know, women how did the meeting have... take place how did you what process oh, oh, did you oh. have to go through and and what were the little things that kind of came in unexpectedly oh. that greatly benefited the process so this is actually really kind of a funny story so i got super angry and literally called the police station up and like cussed them out for not charging this officer um and it was yeah it was the da the, the cops and the da because there was this cop up in Callis who um, gave a high school student drugs to give to her mother who was sexually gratifying him for the drugs. So this man, 30 years on the police force, fully understands addiction, you know, well-versed mm -hmm. in that, is extorting this woman and involving her child in it. And I was like, he needs to be charged with a sex crime. He's abusing his authority, you know, all that stuff. But the way the law is written, the way the law is written, you know, there's, there was nothing he could do, but he told me to write to the legislature. Cause he's like, you've made a lot of good points. And I never would have thought of any of that, you know, if you hadn't, and I'm going to consider this for sentencing because you're right, it is extortion and it should be. I'm like the level of authority that cops have over civilians. Like why are cops getting sexually gratified on taxpayers money anyway? So I ended up writing to a bunch of the legislatures and they want to put, um, I wrote three things out. Like if a cop uses his badge to, you know, try and, you know, get that from a woman, like, you know, that. Well, it's aggression, right? right. It, this is what our, you have a position you know, the, the of peace movement that I'm part of, that I'm executive director of now. Um, we have two premises or two principles. It's a philosophy, live and let live. The live is a moral principle, be an excellent human. We can unpack that as to the different ways we can do that, talk about it, discuss it, and find activities to engage each other in in doing so. The other side of it, the, the legal principle is don't aggress. And our long-term right. vision is to remove all aggression from the law, which would put in place these kinds of, of uh, uh, put in place safeguards for... Right what you experienced and what what the woman experienced. Yeah, and well, oh, sorry, my dog's shaking the table. But I proposed a bill saying, you know, cops should be the same as correctional officers. There's no such thing as consent. The level of power and authority they have over us, it's just not fair. And as a woman who's already been to prison, like, I mean, the only thing I'm thinking is what am I going to jail for when I say no? Like that's the only right. thing I can, and so that one's still. And that is just sad. I mean, to yeah. imagine, and, and this, you know, people might hear this and say, "Well, I never, well, it does, and it happens regularly, and the voices are squashed because they can be 
done so because the authority that's that's present and then this um kind of I was part of a woman's group um, called the Beautiful Heart Ministries. My friend created this whole trauma course. Um, mm. And now she has a non uh, nonprofit with that, you know, helping women who've been incarcerated and all that stuff. Um, and she encouraged me to, you know, keep doing this because I'm always making these arguments, you know, calling my local politicians out, you know, for their crap, you know, with, the state reps and she's like well what about what happened to you they wouldn't give you your paperwork and this is how they bury abuse in these institutions and it's not even just you know prisons it's you know colleges it's it's uh the military you know all that stuff um i filed a prea complaint against somerset county and they wouldn't they they sent the result back to alderson which is where where, where i was being housed when i filed the complaint alderson mm -hmm. wouldn't even allow me to hold, you know, that complaint in my hand, you know, they, they read it to me and then they said, I couldn't have a copy of it. If you don't have proof. But this was a complaint it, that you wrote. Yes. That I filed. And, and didn't make a comment or a, a copy of. So once it left your hands, you were screwed. Yeah. And so I asked for, well, it the didn't matter intended. because I, I could have, you know, photocopied it, but you know, they could have just say, oh, well, we never got it or whatever, but they responded. This was with the response and everything. They wouldn't allow me to have it. And then when I got out, four officers and the captain all got convicted of raping and stalking inmates and tampering with PREA evidence. They had been covering, you know, they, there were women that went through way worse than what I did. And, you know, so it, our, what I hear you saying is that your activity had something to do with that. You're whistleblowing, so to speak. No, no, they're whistleblowing. The girls that got sexually assaulted, ah, like I brutally were... sexually assaulted. No, I had no part in that. I'm still trying. Well, to that's track fortunate. Down, yeah, I'm still trying to track down my paperwork from Somerset County. I went to the Freedom of Information Act. They couldn't find it. Like, the and Somerset County, when I got out, I asked them for a copy. They said, we already gave it to you. If you want a copy of it, you're going to have to have a lawyer subpoena it. First of all, by law, they have to give it to me. There's just no consequence if they don't. And that's, I never got it. No, you gave it to Alderson and Alderson wouldn't allow me to have it. And so they told me to get a lawyer and subpoena it. Well, you can't subpoena anything without an open case and you can't open a case without the paperwork. So they know that. What a catch 22. And, yeah. and, and, and so the system's just. Yeah. Um, so I'm proposing a bill that they get fined like $500 a day for every day they stonewall an inmate. Because this is how they bury abuse. Like that would never happen on the outside. You would be allowed to get a copy of a complaint that you filed, but because we're inmates and we're low quality women that have been thrown away, right. you know, it doesn't matter. And it's like, you know, 70% of the women in prison in America have some form of domestic violence or sexual assault in their history. Like we are the women that slipped through the cracks and that society failed. So how did this affect you internally? What, what kinds of things did you go through within yourself and ascend from and how did you ascend into um, a better place well at first i like got super paranoid because this county is really corrupt like they're dirty like on a whole lot of levels and mm -hmm. i got super paranoid and like wouldn't come out of my house because i thought they were gonna like 
have me set up and you know it brought a lot you of trauma see how that might happen right and yeah and then you know as i got more and more you know allies in the political community like i told them i told them what was going on and they're like don't worry we've got you we won't let them do that to you and it was like a much bigger community outside of somerset so that that made me happy well, um, all you want to do in, in any of those locations yeah you, okay so you got caught you're doing your time however you ought to be able to do your time in a semi-safe environment without well don't call it rehabilitation if all you're going to do is abuse people and sexually right. assault them like that's my thing and i don't want to sit here and say that you know all cops are bad because honestly for you know every well, cop there's great that... ones we both know and and those who have gone beyond the call of duty and, and serving yeah. right people you know, and, and actually pay yeah. attention to the protect and serve right that's what they're really right. about. and yeah, make and the majority of the mark because there's just those few no it's not the majority the majority of them are bad mm. <laughs> but you know the ones that are literally risk their job trying to protect me from officers that were literally you know wanting to hurt me like i was i had officers coming and telling me like please be careful please just like stay in your cell like these officers want to hurt you like they if you give them a reason they are going to hurt you and you know they defend me when i get written up for you know dumb stuff you know mm -hmm. even doing the right thing i got written up for doing the right thing i had an extra sock you're only supposed to have like three pairs or whatever, I turned the extra pair in and they wrote me up for having too many pairs of socks. Like that's the kind of petty stuff that, you know, and which got me, you know, put in solitary. Man, I can't imagine what that, and I'm sure our viewers, it's just like, that sounds so surreal for most people. And yet you went through it and I'm right. sorry to do that. Um, in coming out of that, how, what did you notice again, internally that shifted in you that gave you the inspiration and the power to continue to address it and not become another statistic? Um, I just, I was kind of angry and defiant. Like I because I had an off one of the sergeants there, you know, telling me to kill myself when I was on, you know, medication that was making me suicidal. Like I just wanted so bad to prove these people wrong. Like she, on an, uh, right. Or request that I wrote, she says, I can't wait for you to get out and overdose and stop wasting taxpayers money. Like I just wanted to prove these people wrong so badly. And, you know, be okay for my kids and just, you know, know what joy and happiness and peace was like. Like, I just wanted peace so bad. Like, I got, I got so sick of accepting, you know, constant chaos and violence and just tragedy after tragedy. And, like, I just didn't want that anymore. And when I got out, like, I blocked everybody that was, you know, a part of that life. Like, I stopped hanging out with anybody that got high like yeah I love you but I'm not like I just became a complete loner and I, you know I learned to be okay with that and sometimes got, you need to be to be safe and secure yeah. and, and you know right. and keep your sanity for a while now as you were as you spent time alone and, and developing your relationship with self 
how did you then begin to expand in into your surroundings and what kind of relationships did you begin develop or to develop and, and how did you do that from that place of uh, being better to yourself well you know i was just being put on all these different medications when i got out and none mm -hmm. of them were working and i remember one morning i was just like you know, like I was telling you earlier, like, I swear, if I could just go see a shaman, I'd feel better. And then my mother takes me to this, you know, uh, witchy, you know, spiritual psychic fair. And I sat with a psychic and she said, you're not, you don't have mental health issues. You're a witch and a very powerful empath. And your energy is all messed up from trauma and, you know, bad places you've been. And yeah, like some of those, some of those institutions were really badly haunted. Right. Like, Right. Very badly haunted. Now there and, is there is also, if I may offer, there's the notion that we have to go through those trials and tribulations in order to fully step into the power and the being that we were meant to be, because we couldn't really do it otherwise, right? Because right. we didn't have the experience, you wouldn't have to grow from it. So in right. that growth, there's a tremendous opportunity as well. Um, so I, I applaud you for taking that opportunity and making the right or better choices for you that, that continue yeah. to happen, right? You're just still yeah. in the, the embryonic state of this process, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, still healing, still long way from where I want to be. But, you know, I can wake up every morning and say, like, I like my life. Like, I feel happy. I feel good. Like, I'm, like, at peace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was just such a foreign concept to me, like, peace. Like, even when I got out and it was over, like, just because you get out and it's over doesn't mean, you know, it's over. <laughs> no, there's a whole nother set of fears of what the hell am I going to do, right? Yeah. And, you know, I was really lucky because, you know, the governor changed mm -hmm. and it expanded main care. So I was able to continue therapy, to continue, like, treatment, going to the doctor and being able to take care of myself. And, you know, that just made all the difference in the world. And, you know, being the only country that doesn't have universal healthcare, like, I mean, I was in, I was in prison with a 78 year old little grandma, cutest little lady. Her husband was a vet and she needed knee surgery to walk and her insurance wouldn't pay for it because she was married. So she lied on the paperwork and said she was single, you know, Trump wants to cry about a raid. They blew her door off the hinges, put guns in that little old lady's face. Like she was the sweetest grandma, never did nothing her whole life. Like, and I'm just, I'm so sick of, you know. Well, there had to have been at least something that triggered them. Um, but still, no, it you know, was, 75 year old. Yeah, woman. it was insurance fraud. Yes, it oh was insurance gosh. fraud. But you don't need to come in and, you know, scare her to death. And that's overkill. Yeah. That's way overkill. But they do um, that, you know, all the time because her husband had guns, you know, like you're really going <laughs> to. Not that I'm, I'm in favor of that, but I can see the error on the side of caution. However, when you're in that situation and you're not trained for it, because I think a lot of these guys and gals, they never really go through the proper training to, to remain centered, calm, not right. up in the adrenaline of the moment and making bad choices as a result. Right. Is that, you know, 
you know, they expect us to remain perfectly calm when they have, you know, a whole bunch of guns, you know, pointed at us. And it's like, D are you kidding me? Like, we're in control. Why don't you? <laughs> right? Yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. So how did you finally find your way into this new level of happiness? What happened? How did you, you know, piece those zentangles together to right. create a, a, a life for yourself? Well... Or you know, our, situ our situation changed, um, you know, we, we moved and our housing became completely stable, like never have to worry about it again. And that was like a complete, you know, relief and just getting away from, you know, where I got in trouble and, you know, now, did you, you know, to do that? Because I'm thinking about how others might be in a similar situation to you and the questions they might ask of, okay, how did you do this? What kinds of things? Was this a state-oriented thing? Was this so, a um, HUD housing? Was it part of the rehab program? How how were you able to manifest no, um, my My fiance got a new job and we moved. Oh, that so that, that, yeah, that really helped. And, um, you know, this place has a lot more money going through it than Maine does. So, you know, my brand is getting a lot more exposure and, you know, there's just, you know, more opportunity. We haven't talked about your brand. What oh, yeah. is your brand? So over the pandemic, um, this is one of my shirts, by the way, I found a company that turns your art into environmentally friendly clothes. Hmm. And so like I have bags, I have dresses, I have everything and it comes in plus sizes. So like, I'm all about inclusivity and, you know, they're sized properly. Like we have skinniness and, you know, vanity shoved down our throats. And a lot of these clothing brands will make their clothes really, really small. And it can create a lot of body dysmorphia issues. Yeah, I bought some shirts from China that were like three sizes too small and they were triple X's. Right. But, but it, people with, you and know, I wear a medium eating normal. disorders. Oh, wow. Yeah. But like people with eating disorders, like that's going to affect them. That's mm -hmm. going to, you know, trigger men. And I'm just so glad it doesn't do that because I would never want to contribute to people's mental health issues. Like this is a pillowcase. Like, you know, I, there's something for everybody in here. Like one day I will paint something completely gothic. And then the next day it'll be like moons and butterflies and rainbows. and From gothic to etheric, huh? Right. <laughs> well, cool. Oh, cool. Congratulations but, on, on being able to turn your life around and, and, you know, take tragedy and turn it into triumph. I started making gratitude lists too, to like raise my vibration and distract me. And there's you, there's these things called binaural beats. Um, it's like sound healing. What? I sleep with those on and I meditate with them. They also have guided meditations on YouTube that, you know, I found really helpful. And I thought you mentioned you know, the binaural beats. I actually have one. It's called the multi-plane awareness um technique and uh, for listeners if you just plug in multi-plane and solfeggio s-o-l-f-e-g-g-i-o the very first video that comes up is a meditation a guided visualization that i put together based on that 13 or a it's a nine plane uh integration of your being oh wow 
Uh, oh, I was introduced right. to it in, in 1989. It was work done by William Swigard in the 1950s. He discovered a way to uh, create a light body. It's kind of like an astral experience, only a little more refined. Uh, you create your light body, light body, put your consciousness into it. It's facilitated, so you've got a person leading you through it. Um, and then you move that light body throughout nine planes of consciousness and integrate your body on each one of those planes. That's amazing. And, and drop them back off on your way back in. So I couldn't Definitely find an audio it. version of it. So I created one without any effects. And then a few years later, I put binaural beats and solfeggio tones behind it. So it's really That's amazing. Cool. Um, I'm definitely going to look that up. Yeah, it, those it, are really helpful. And also, like when you're really stressed out, um, ASMR, for especially for you neurodivergence, like it me it feels like you're getting a massage and just the different like the noises are like so active like it feels like i'm getting a scalp massage when mm -hmm. you know when i listen to them and yeah you know just stay positive also um for those of you who have you know addiction disabilities or they call them disabilities i think they're more superpowers but um yeah, you. diagnosis um there's something called vocational rehab um, they gave me business advisors. They gave me, um, yeah, they taught me how to make a business plan. Like they gave me a financial advisor. I got a $10,000 grant, you know, because they, they, they helped me get it. And mm -hmm. I'm sitting there like, oh my God, I've never gotten this much, much money legally before. Now, was that through the small business, um, development, uh, association or, yeah. uh, SBA, the small business association, or did it come through, um, what's the other one? There's, um, well, you already answered the question, but those kinds of things, the, the grant, oh, the other organization I was going to mention was SCORE. Um, they're, a, they're in major cities all over the country, some even smaller cities, and there are a, a group of retired executives that are there that give free advice oh that's awesome people like you um so yeah, they, they help cool. you develop your business take you through all the steps ask you the right questions because they know what they are right where you may not because you're just going into something right and it's a phenomenal resource i actually taught uh, uh marketing uh, social marketing classes for them for a number of years for linkedin i wrote a, a linkedin workbook back in 2014 <laughs> So it's, it's, uh, yeah, I've done all kinds of stuff. Um, That's awesome. You know, it's that creative thing. It's like you're always looking for something to do. You see something that needs to be done. You can't find any, you know, solutions or others who've done something. So I guess it's up to me to create it for myself. And, That's uh, good. and I've been pretty good at, at being able to do that and teaching high school, learning how to develop curriculum and how to work with uh, adults, developmentally disabled adults to, you know, high functioning um, autistics and I love it you know I feel That's like I'm, awesome. I'm just part of the family right and I'm just able to offer that solace kind of like you are, are finding in how you're building your business and working with people and you're finding out all these kind-hearted others right who are similar to you yeah <laughs> it's Maybe nice it's to like, not like be on guard all the time that's a great feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. So how, let, let's look at that. So in order, because a lot of people, 
are stuck in that fear of something. And oftentimes they can't even put the finger on what that fear actually is. But there's this tension they feel. There's a lack of trust in others or environment, themselves even. How did you internally, do you remember what kind of emotional processing you went through or, or intellectual processing? I mean, it all applies to your right. own. No, I would, I'd have to calm myself down and be like, okay, yes, the danger might be present, but I know how to maneuver it. I know how to, you know, I'm going to be okay. Also, I'll, I'll just be honest. Uh, weed helped me a lot. Like it slowed me down enough so I wouldn't react. And, you know, you know, point being, oftentimes we just need to slow down yeah. in order to move fast because we get so much ahead and we, we start thinking too much, we get obsessive, we get compulsive, right. and we make bad choices. And, you know, I would have to agree with you that, you know, and it's not even necessarily a lot. There's just a little bit that seems to ease the tension just enough yeah, to, to allow you to be it. more present. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, you know, on days where I feel like I'm too anxious and I'm too triggered, I still, I will cancel plans and I will take care of myself first because I know I've done that. Oh, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm, I'm too tough for that, or I can, you know, deal with it or, you know, whatever. I know that eventually a burnout is going to come. And when I burn out, I tend to take everything around me with it. So like, and it's not rational. It's not, you know, on purpose, but you know, I know I have to take care of myself first. And that means eating properly. You know, I had to cut out all processed foods. You know, once I really started meditating, me yeah, once I started meditating and like getting on an actual definite spiritual path, like I couldn't eat all the same things that I used to like, you know, and a lot of meats would make me feel sick. Mm -hmm. And if, if I, you know, stuff with artificial, you know, dyes in it will make me manic and not be able to sleep and, you know, all that stuff. And I really had Our to start. bodies are really pretty sensitive. Yeah. Now, and you're becoming aware of it now. You weren't right. before, so you're just stuffing the crap in, right? And, and just like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, the advertising, you know, McDonald's. And, and even unfortunately, I think a lot of people are looking for muck enlightenment. And they're bypassing the real tough inner work that needs to take place. And you know, ultimately, do you find the inner work all that tough? Or was it pretty easy once you figured no, it out? The, the inner work is great, you know. And I've always noticed that my sleep patterns and my emotions fluctuate with the moon, with moon cycles, mm -hmm. you know? And so I started, you know, following the moon and it was always a constant in my life, you know, matter if I was on the streets or, you know, in an institution or in an abusive relationship, like the moon was always there and always comforted me. So during the new moon where it's that growing energy, you know, I will write out all my goals and what I'm trying to manifest and what I'm looking forward to and what I want my life to be like. And then when the full moon hits, I will write down things I want to release like toxic traits or insecurities or or traumatic memories that I'm trying to process and release. And, you know, that's how I kind of, you know, 
I'm smiling broadly right now because I have a very dear friend. He's on the other side now. His name's Willie Whitefeather. He's a mixed blood Cherokee storyteller and, and just a wonderful human being. He's probably 20 years my senior, uh, maybe even more than that. Um, and he says one time, you know, that about the moon cycles every 14 days, right? That there's this shift that takes place and you've picked it up naturally because it's a natural process you know we have missed the Gregor gregorian calendar has totally circumvented natural rhythms and cycles right right the a friend of mine jose arguez years ago presented the idea of going back to a lunar calendar 28 days well it kind of makes sense because every yeah everything is the patriarchy did that the patriarch the patriarchy did that because originally there was 28 days a month and there were 13 months right. in the lunar year and the patriarchy said oh no that's the number of the divine feminine so we're going to demonize it and you know make christianity this is how the mayans calendar set up the the zulkin is set up um was it the Boktun, I think, is the, the long count, but it's based on mm -hmm. the lunar cycles, you know, and every year, because there is one day off, they have a day out of time festival on July <laughs> 25th, right? And so there's this release to the nothingness, right, from right. which everything comes, ultimately. We right. still don't recognize that yet, but that's what some people from elsewhere have told us, that we as humans don't understand that and we don't understand that we live half inside and half outside yet because we're bereft of the inner understanding or experience and yet the experiences you're talking about that i i've mentioned a few times this is the bridge where you make the without as the within because you've discovered what's inside first right and then you start yeah. by doing so then you begin to attract the outer world that reflects that now point being Prior to that, you were still attracting the outer world that reflected your inner condition. You just were unaware of it. Right, right. So yes, ultimately, we have personal responsibility for creating our lives. Yep. Right? <laughs> oh, that's scary, right? You mean, yeah. you know, you mean Joe's not responsible, Mary's not responsible? No, you're responsible. It's how you think where or not think. And where you put your attention, intention, and interaction towards. Right. Once, you know, and my life has gotten so much better now that I've learned how to put my intention towards other things. You know, what I want to happen, not what I don't want You're to happen. You're afraid of happening. Right. I mean, I'm so powerful. I manifested some of my worst nightmares. Like, I Good mean, for I you. Right. Now you can only go up. Right. 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 <laughs> exactly well and and that's you know finding that that humor that lightheartedness that that really makes a, a world of difference in the experience because we got to be able to laugh at our silly humor. yeah i always say that laughter makes the pain go down easier that's like <laughs> something i've said for years <laughs> well as long as you're dealing with the pain what about you know getting rid of that pain what do, what do you have to do what have you found works for you to help you eliminate it get, get or get through it first and, and then be able to dissipate that pain in the healing process of the trauma 
Uh, is it a process that you go through or is, is it a, a just a, a choice you make to let go and refuse to give it rental space in your head? Right. Well, you know, I think of it as like, if I can make these changes and prevent it from happening to others, then that hell I drag myself through and others drag me through will be worth it in the end. Mm. And, you know, if I can make it, you know, for something and not for nothing, you know, then, you know, there's still stuff that, you know, haunts me and I still have a hard time with. And, you know, I don't know. So what's going on with you in that point? Can you forgive yourself? Or is it, is it that kind of thing where you just haven't been able to forgive yourself of whatever belief you have that you were, you were out of line or did something out of character? I mean, I just wish things hadn't, gone the way they had like it was out you know external forces like no but you can't control it right right i know i know i know and it's like can you go back and change it now no no you can't however what you can do is change how you think and feel about it right right and you can begin to let go of those things just look and you can recall okay when I first looked back at this, I felt this way and I was all just bungled up inside, right? Then the more you look at it, the more distance you get from it, the more you process it verbally and talking about it, not from the point of putting responsibility for it on something else, the more it will dissipate and eventually disappear as far as the charge you carry from right. right how does that process how, how do you because i'm sure i mentioned you know i i kind of described this process that's what you've been going through though whether you realize it or not from what i'm hearing you say how did right. you find ways to articulate that process as you understand it to others in order to help them um well i would write I'm I'm in the editing process of my memoir, so like mm. I I definitely write memoirs at 36. Yeah. I mean, come on, <laughs> it's mm. just a section of my life that you know was you know. I I, I just interesting because you know Jim Morrison never had any memoirs, and he had left some pretty good things that right. he had to say about stuff. And there are many others. Um, please don't die young. You have right. a lot of things to accomplish yet. No, I just, I'm doing it because I want people to see like what really goes on in there and, you know, the money they're making and the level of corruption that's going on in this country. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I want to expose that, you know, so maybe others don't have to go through it and maybe we can put an end to it. Eventually, I think it is possible. I believe, and I could be wrong. I believe the innate nature of human beings are to love and be loved. That's what we seek. And because we don't seek it in each other, or we don't feel it in ourselves, first of all, we're afraid of exposing ourselves and being rejected, right? You're not going to be if you really know who I am kind of thing. And that sets up a whole, you know, major kerfuffle. And then 
being able to move beyond that in accepting self and recognizing that there is a, that connectivity that when we are open to it brings us the tools that the people places and things we need to ascend basically at the speed of surrender which happens to be a title of one of my books right but this is how we i've gone through it as you have right you were in a very deep dark place and now you feel like you have ascended into a new order and right. even though it's been incremental and it seems you know you got a long way to go you still are in that process of ascension from where you were and how do you do that you surrendered to what needed to be done right and there were times i felt like i was battling my old personality because i was trying to like you were because you were you know, right? yeah and, habits as you're changing habits you're going to be arguing with yourself yeah and it was like i can you know make this decision and you know get justice you know in the streets but i will be stepping back into a life that you know i won't be able to step back out of you know the only reason i stepped out of it before was because i went to prison and i got away from my you know every these all these people but you know if Is i that were to believe that or do you or could you believe that there's a way to deal with that in a way that doesn't affect you adversely or put you inside a um a harmful energy no <laughs> no could it is it possible no it's if not. you stretch your imagination but let's just let's have a little creative spark here right if that were possible could you let it happen would it be comfortable um imagining anything is possible to those who believe mm -hmm. right anything so this dream big if that were possible, would you be able to allow yourself to go into that without putting your own bias back into it? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> okay. At least this will begin the process of you recognize, because now you're aware that other things are possible. And according to what you know to be true in yourself, right. there's magic that happens right? Beyond things you do yeah. because you are making the effort to change and to make others' lives better and things like that. Well, the universe is going to support that because that's loving and being loved, right? So that energy is prevalent in that. So just consider that you may be able to be free of that angst and be more diligent in the efforts with greater clarity and people that actually have more expertise in operating in those realms to help you. Yeah. That yeah, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Um, I've just like- I'll be expecting I, a report. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I definitely, I, I really do want to get like the whole astral projection thing under control. That's like definitely a goal that I have. What is it about that you need to control you feel? I can't do it on purpose. And when I do do it, I get taken. I don't know. I just get taken to some strange places. Like I will literally scream in my sleep to wake myself up. Like mm -hmm. when I go to some of these scary places and 
Well, you've been in scary places in, in real life. So those are going to be remnants in your unconscious world until you deal with them. And so they're going to be representing themselves to you because this is the deeper levels of your consciousness you haven't addressed yet. Right. Right. And, and you understand that. I know because you've dealt with some of that and, and you do have an advanced understanding of mm, paranormal activities because of your direct experience. Right. right. So being able to understand that, how would you consider a path to um, bringing that to greater order and being able to manage yourself and allow those OBEs to happen when they need to, not necessarily when you prescribe them to? Because these are gifts, right? And we got to be careful right. how we use those gifts. And they aren't necessarily meant for parlor tricks. Right. <laughs> Although those yeah, well, happen too, right? There's another integrative purpose for that with other dimensions and things like that. We're just barely scratching the surface of right. dealing with this. I happen to have some experience with it because that's been my focus of study for the last 40 years. Um, and I'm still an outlier in the realms that I hope to be, you know, you try to go into science and uh, spiritual realms and consciousness realms and present things and they're the listening's just not there yet is it true you can't get an area 51 yeah why is that <laughs> well because it it's a military base oh well, no, no no like people who have tried to astral project like they can't get in it everyone like there's i don't so i mean you're actually someone who can like control that stuff like I would or have you not say, tried? Um, I haven't found it necessary. I deal with the guys all the time. I don't need to go into secret places or, you know, oh, right. that, well. that kind of activity is <laughs> not what I'm really interested in. Now, what I do know is that trained people like Lynn Buchanan and, and Ingo Swan and um, uh, Robert um, Targ, um, what's his first name? Anyway, people that were developing the remote viewing program back in the 50s they can go anywhere and wow. a practice person can go anywhere doesn't matter so you that's just, just a, have that's a target just a story. And, and a willingness to let go of your preconceptions of not being able to do so right <laughs> right um so those kinds of you know in consciousness we're all energy anyway so there are no limitations there are no blockages as long as you have the pureness of your intent and you're not there to you know because if you're trying to be malevolent it's not going to work right it's just that's not that's a higher level of frequency that doesn't allow the lower energies of all yeah. the you know ego stuff in it at all so there's right. no malevolence even possible in the higher dimensions so those kinds of things now in the astral plane on the fourth level yeah you can still because there are people there who haven't worked through their stuff and they're mean and they're nasty and they're held there and occasionally they bleed through into this you know because you've opened yourself up to them and, and they're just looking for a place to have some fun right well, that can be taken care of as well. If you're open, honest, authentic, um, free, fearless, 
You know, the worst thing that can happen when you feel like somebody's trying to psychically attack you is to become fearful and try and resist it. Because that resistance is what they key on and build right. energy with. Right. So an old friend taught me this, you just completely disappear. Right. As much as you conceive that, you know, just disappear, breathe, let go, let them pass through. Usually what happens is you become a mirror and that energy is reflected back on them. I feel like that's like my whole life. <laughs> well, you know, this is a practice that there are old souls. I do know. And, and we have abilities and skills and things that we haven't even begun to tap into because we're not there collectively yet. There's not the listening that that's available for it now. It appears that coming out of COVID, that listening level has been ramped up a little bit because there's more yeah. questions being asked, primarily because I think yeah. people with got obsessed with the self-hygiene and sequestration, and who are they going to talk to? Right. If, if they're the only one around. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you have all this self-talk going on. Hopefully it's good self-talk, or at least you're questioning your motives, your beliefs, your you know, your willingness to be or do and then find a better way of living or at least make a choice to at least consider those kinds of things. Because if you don't, you're going to fall back into the old patterns and habits and be just as miserable, if not more so, than you were before. Right. How did you find a way out of that? And, and what was it like in that initial realization that there was a freedom on the other side i'm not speaking <laughs> that can be taken many ways right there's freedom right. and you don't have i'm not talking about leaving your body uh, right. or dying and going to the other side i'm talking about the other side of the trauma right how, how did you find that hmm, that tipping point um you know as I started, you know, having these just people like attracting in my life, like I noticed the kind of people that were coming into my life ran and randomly just showing up versus the kind of people that would just randomly show up in my life. And, you know, it was to actually like make some traction with you know, what I was trying to do instead of just, you know, trying to stay afloat and, you know, have these big dreams and not know how to get there. Like once I started like actually making a little bit of progress, you know, and once I really changed my mindset, you know, like, like I talked about before and, you know, I, I, le I learned how to rewire my brain. Like when I tried to quit smoking, you know, whenever I light up, because I know if I just tried to quit, I'm going to, it's going to build up and then I'm going to freak out and I'm going to end up doing it again anyway. But I literally told myself at the end of every cigarette, like, I hate this. This is disgusting. This smells so bad. This tastes so bad. Like I would just say these things, even though they weren't necessarily true, mm -hmm. but you know, slowly, you know, as the days went on, I found it more and more disgusting every time well, you, I lit you up. You yourself. There's that, that illustrates my point just perfectly, right? Because you continued telling yourself, 
you you sell stuff you acquiesced to that experience or you surrendered to it because you told yourself enough to believe it (laughs) that's interesting you know there, there's another aspect to telling yourself stuff over and over again and, and believing it to be true that's totally in the opposite direction. And uh, Howard Bloom brought that out in his book called The Lucifer Principle. And it's about a, a scientific study of the history of how small groups of people have manipulated, ha- how they have manipulated masses by right. lies and controlling the media stream, whether it's a town crier or the internet. Yep. And, and just people repeating eventually the same stupid true. story. Yeah. Right. And, and people eventually believe it to be true because that's what they're being told. Well, the same applies. Right. That's what they're paying attention to, and it's repeated, so they're eventually going to believe it. The same applies with what you're telling yourself and how you yeah. eventually believe that in order to make the habit change. And yeah. it's just a perfect example. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I try to be cautious of my thoughts because I used to just, you know, instead of being able to process my emotions, I would just, you know, put it behind this wall of anger and, you know, to take down this wall of anger, it was very overwhelming. And, you know, sometimes I felt like my brain was literally like splitting in half and just, yeah, the anger is you end up seething inside. Right. And, you know, underneath all that anger is a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of fear. And, you know, you're never just angry. You know, it's that your anger is the part of yourself that loves you and knows what's happening to you is wrong. But, you know, there's always that other emotion, that core emotion along with it. And Mm -hmm. once you have to find that core emotion, you know, before you can really deal with, you know, that anger and, you know, once I realized that and I stopped, you know, feeding into it, like I process it, be like, yep, okay, like, yep, that's what I'm angry about. But, you know, here's, you know, what I'm really, you know, what mm-hmm. I should be focusing on. And, you know, it makes things a lot easier. And I also kind of, you know, I used to be, I, I still love metal. I still love metal music. But, you know, I stopped listening to all of the songs that I associated my trauma with. Because let's face it, you know, memory music, triggers. Music you, is our memory triggers. Yeah. You you know, I there's so many songs I love, but it was the songs that got me through some of the worst times of my life. And I hear them, all I'm gonna think about is the worst times of my life. Right. And I, I yeah, still duh, love why would you want to do that? Right. right. And yet, <laughs> and yet people will still continue to listen yeah. to the stuff that does that. You know, we had a yeah. Um, a, a gentleman does some work for my wife sometimes uh, and uh, for 20 years he's worked for her, off and on yeah. tuning her piano and for 20 years he's had the same story that he carries in the woe is not woe is me but just the, the you know unpleasant stuff that's going on in, in his life and the unpleasant stuff has been a consistent issue with his ex right and i'm like guys when is he ever going to realize that he could change his story right yeah i i was tired of people writing my story for me i was allowing it to happen i was letting these men walk all over me and then i put myself in a position where i didn't have power to write my own story Mm -hmm. so once i got that back you know i 
I know I had stuff I had to deal with and, you know, I had to deal with my trauma before I even tried to deal with my addiction. I had to be on that treatment. And, you know, I don't think anyone should feel ashamed of that because your brain, you know, when you have trauma or a mental health issue on top of addiction or chronic pain, like mm -hmm. I, I was told, I yeah, you need some chemistry, a little chemistry ad adjustment and, and they do understand yeah. enough about brain chemistry that they can provide a temporary right. solution for that. However, to the detriment of the system, they want to continue right. that rather than teach you how to get beyond yeah. it. And so they deal with it's, the symptoms, not the core. Right. And, you know, I, if it, like, it's, I was told I was the worst kind of addict and that I had the highest chance of overdosing. And for a while that like crippled me, I was like, oh my God, I don't have a chance. Right. Like, and so you I don't know. Into it. <laughs> right. Because I, I have, you know, mental health professionals telling me this. I had a prosecutor. Yeah, they, know more than they, they know more than I do. So I should accept what right. they know because they're experts. And I'm like, right. I, you know, I had the same thing that um, happened to me. And, and bottom line, that's bullshit. Yeah. You know, the prosecutor. Why do we accept and have to be put through the kind of oh, protracted. Rare. Yeah. belligerence yeah. of that kind of thinking. Yeah, they the prosecutor literally said in open court that my trauma was so bad I would never get clean. And you know what? I did get clean. I just yeah, needed wrong, a little help. I just needed a little guidance. I just needed a fair chance. And, you know, having health care, that's barely even a fair chance. Like, it was so right. hard to still, you know, maintain sobriety. And I had every wrong diagnosis and just people with PhDs not listening to me because I have mental, mental health issues. And I used to call them educated idiots. Right. Um, some of them are really sharp, right? We got to give credit where credit's due. Abs However, absolutely. There are those entrenched, even clinical based psychiatry, right? The D that gets stuck in the DSM five, I guess it is now, maybe even six. I don't yeah. know. However, that's just full of diagnosis from symptoms rather than right. you know analysis and, and attempts to work with in order to help the patient deal with and work, integrate, develop a, a better sense of themselves and, and understanding how they operate. Well, a neurodiverse first a neurodiverse person in the first place is not understandable with the current views. It's like you know trying to solve problems with the same thinking that made them. It doesn't right. work. Right. <laughs> you got to step back and ask the the problem questions, not think you know the solution and try and, you know, supplant it for whatever it is that they're asking for. Right. It, it pays. Now, how do you see that in in your life and others around you and yourself of, of understanding that piece of you know, everybody's slightly different and they deserve to right. be acknowledged and at least attempted to be understood. Exactly. And, you know, I got so tired of all of these doctors. It's like, you know what? I did it your way for 20 years. And for 20 years, you couldn't even figure out what was wrong with me. So I'm going to stop believing everything you say. And I'm going to go on my own experience because I've been right every time. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody, just nobody wanted to listen to me. And I didn't even want to listen to me because I'm sitting there doubting myself because <laughs> I got these people. You talk to yourself often. And, and <laughs> do you respond? Well, I hope that you do, right? Yeah. If we don't talk to ourselves, who else are we going to talk to? We've got, now the thing is to be able to let that out every once in a while right. and have a discussion with another that at least understands who you are right. and then can help you. <laughs> you know, manage the, the conversation a little bit better. Right. Uh, we're still going to have them. That's our yeah. nature. And I think we get embarrassed when they spill out and, and we try to have conversations with others about what's going on inside our heads because we think we're going to sound nuts. Right. And, and like for me being put back in the institution, right? For you, same thing. Yeah. Um, there's that fear of, am I going to say the right thing in the wrong place? And, and the white coats are going to take me away. Oh, ha ha. ha he, right. No. <laughs> my, <laughs> that was my adoptive father's worst fear at 82 years old. We finally had a conversation. I was a 32nd degree Mason. So I thought that we could have these spiritual conversations, right. About what I was experiencing. Uh-uh never happened he was a mason and he still did that well i think he was ultimately i think he was working or looking out for my best interest because he thought if we had those those conversations it would give me permission to be more open about them and he knew what it had caused as a 19 year old right where i got institutionalized even by his choice still um in that process though so i'm gonna put you through it to prevent someone else from putting you through it (laughs) well no he put it through me again to begin with and then was saw how it affected me and was fearful that it would happen again because i'd open my mouth up in the wrong place and this he finally revealed this to me and and we were sitting in the car at the looking across the the first tee of the golf course i grew up on and he says uh you know, I was just de- deathly afraid you'd say the wrong place, wrong thing, the right place, and they'd come take you away. And I said, well, Dad, I've been in Phoenix for 35 years. I'm still free. I think I made it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he kind of chuckled. And, and yet there was so much that I missed that I would have loved to have had had he not held that bias. Right. And just been open and conversant with me at least explore you know i know he didn't have all the answers i didn't have all the answers i don't know who does infinite intelligence does right all that all that is has those answers but you got to ask the right questions in order for the answers to come and those answers may come from a person an experience a book a movie you know just one of those moments where something clicks and it's like oh got it that was the memo So how do you receive the memos now? What, what's your life like in, in how you're moving forward and, and paying attention to these other gifts that you have and being able to, to work with those a little more effectively? Well, um, I connect with nature a lot. Like, you know, if I go outside, no shoes on, I can, li- and I sit really, really still and just, you know, tune everything out. I can feel the vibrations, you know, of the earth. And, you know, I, I, I meditate a lot and I try to just, you know, 
work on myself. Like mm. I want to, you know, get my vibration up there. I want to be like so in control of, you know, myself and my emotions and my mental health. Like I would offer that you don't be so out of control to be in <laughs> Right, because there's. No I already flow. was out of control. Right. Yeah, but... it's, a, it's a flow. Now, in when you're in that place and, and you're meditating, you're grounded and, and you're silent. Do you hear a sound? Yes, I get ringing in my ears all the time, or like sometimes it hurts though. Hmm? Like sometimes the ringing in my ears and the sounds, like it, it really hurts. And you know, other times I will see like. It kind of looks like glitter and, mm -hmm. you know, little weird, you know, lights and, you know, shadowy, you know, stuff like that. Like that mm -hmm. happens to me a lot and I'll see things right before they happen. Like I won't realize it was, you know, premonition like until Pretty after. Yeah, you're, right. you're sensitive. Well, everything's waveform, right? And information exchange and as things are happening, you're going to get some impressions or some people are going to feel those impressions because they're there. And, and right. some, have, some are built differently than others in their sensitivity to them. Not a bad thing, kind of spooky and can be spooky cool once you get comfortable with, okay, this is something that happens to me. Uh, it's a direct experience. I don't have to be concerned about it. I'm not crazy. Others are like me. You know, that's why I mentioned the octopus movement earlier is that it's a neurodiverse um, organization that, of nonlinear thinkers. And, right. you know, the, the spectrum people, right? right. Um, it's like a home. It's like, it, you know, people finding each other and, and, and the nuances and conversations The you know, what might really offend a linear thinker like being interrupted mid mid sentence <laughs> yeah. right? would not offend a nonlinear thinker because that's how they operate that you know there's chunks of information and they can be tangential in an instant and right. still come back to where that central focus was and that's tough to deal with and, and hard to track if you're not built that way or at least understand that neurodiverse people operate that way and that's a really big challenge in business and industry right these, the, the, you know these people are brilliant at what they do they're just not you know when it comes to the corporate and the marketing they might be a, le a little bit you know but that it's weird though because i'm actually really good at marketing mm. like i'm i you know i learned how to you know do that with a cleaning company that i worked for and i became very good at marketing like going to marketing meetings and like connecting with people like i was actually very good at that but i remember feeling like i was being inauthentic inauthentic because you know i'd always ask them questions that i really didn't care about and like they ate it right up and it's like I feel like they know that, that, you know, or they should know that I really don't care about, you know, all that small talk stuff, but they, it's like they eat it up. And that's what I don't get about, you know, neurotypical people. They would rather have, you know, a false. They love to have of, conversations about small stuff. Yeah. It's agonizing. Mm. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, and yet. When you 
you know, here's a, an example or, or maybe an opportunity is in those situations where there are things coming up. Well, it gives you a chance just to be quiet, kind of feel them out, watch the energy where it's going, not have to say a thing and just wait for the opportunity, even request an opening that allows, you know, a really neat segue that allows you to bring up a topic that you wanted to talk about. Right. I would challenge you to try <laughs> that, right? Just be quiet. And it'll give you an example of how centered, purposeful, and responsive your environment can be to it, including other people, right? Just try that sometime. Just be quiet, feel okay. <laughs> centered, find that happy place in you, and, and maybe a little bit giddy about something really cool that's going to happen that you don't know what it is. Right. <laughs> that kind of anticipatory feeling and and see what happens. Yeah. I, I guarantee you it will blow your mind. Because <laughs> it works. It. <laughs> so for others like yourself that find themselves in, in you know horrible situations and, and seemingly no way out what what kind of advice can you give to them to help nurture themselves first of all and uh, to develop the courage to continue to find help um you know especially now in america you know it, everybody is struggling with something so don't just assume that you're the only one dealing with it. You know, I felt like I was the only person in my situation. And then I meet, I get locked up and I meet so many women who have it 10 times worse. And I didn't even like want to cry or, you know, feel sorry for myself after that, after seeing what, how the horrible things sure. they were going through. And, you know, laughter makes the pain go down easier. And, you know, I used to worry myself to death and, stop focusing on what you don't want if something if something's making you angry and that's not what you want don't don't think about it choose something that makes you happy and laugh and you know even if it's like completely nonsense it's better than focusing right. on you know the negative and i know that sounds so cliche but you know my life didn't change till i was able to you know focus you know, on what I wanted. You made the choice to, to right. yourself. And you made the choice to actually love you. Yes. And I stopped listening to other people's biases and stigmas, even if they had, you know, a PhD. Like, if, if something's not You're willing working to challenge you, authority is what I hear you saying. Yeah. I, yeah. I was willing to challenge authority and I've been defiant my whole life. I mean, geez, my first experience with a banned book was in jail. And, um, my friend was trying to order some banned books of the Bible. They wouldn't let her have it and wouldn't give her any type of reason why just that it was on the banned list. And so naturally I had to read all of them when I got out. Oh, sure. Right. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Beware. Know. Well, okay. I'll be there. <laughs> right. And, you know, I had kind of found Christ in, in, you know, jail and I didn't, I was, you know, strictly kind of sticking to the Bible because that's all they gave us right. there. Well, and so once I got out and I read all those books, I was like, oh my God, 
they lied. They've been lying to us just to enslave us for, for centuries. Yeah. I'm like, and then I got really angry about it. And I was just like totally anti-Christian for a little bit. And, you know, I'm, it, it's your, I'm it, anti-religion. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I agree with you. I, I, I've been there. However, any, I love the Christ conscious though. I love what he did well, and I love what, Mary Magdalene. And I, you know, what's the embodiment of love, right? Yes. Everything's possible to those who believe and be as little children. You got to be in that naive, yes. innocent little child place when you're dealing with infinite intelligence because you're much smaller. Right. <laughs> and, and it will respond, right? Now, <clears throat> In that organizational structure, I think that happens. That's that's the normal course of what has been happening in organizations because of the patriarchal and competitive nature of the ego. Yeah. Right. Now that's changing as we go into the age of Aquarius. We've been through the winter solstice of 2012, the tipping point of the rise of consciousness and, and awareness and now now that we've got that we're carrying it so we take it everywhere with us and what we do anywhere we do everywhere whether we realize it or not so right. this energy that we carry then affects others and there's a trickle down or ripple through depending on how you look at it the rest of humanity and it's such a subtle energy that they don't even feel it and yet because of it, all of the things that are incongruent with loving and being loved are coming up to the surface now for us that's plainly obvious, right? The, the manipulation of the systems, the infighting in political organizations, the use of the resources in order to manipulate, manage, and control resources through war, all of right. these kinds of things that have been known for a while, but now it's coming up to the surface where it's all exposed, thanks to the internet. Yep, and they're panicking. And, so now they're going to enslave women and do all these other crazy things. Like, well, I think it's beyond that now, though. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's that because that's still part of the old school. And, and unfortunately, it's still present. We haven't fully come out of that yet. Right. Um, it's clinging on for dear life. With a death grip, right? Oh my God. Uh, yeah. <sighs> um, and yet there's this freeing new energy. It feels really weird. My wife and I have been noticing it just, they almost feel like you're not quite in your body all the time. Oh my God. That totally, that happened to me right before I got on with you. And I was like, oh my God, I hope. Sorry I about that. <laughs> I was literally <laughs> feeling that way. I was like, and I was like trying to like gain a thought and, you know, get my thoughts together and I couldn't do it. And I was like, well, it kind what? of freaked her out What's because happening? that, because it does feel, it's like wobbly, not quite there. Wobbly. Right. I call it um, kind of sloshy. Right. And and this has happened to me for decades. So See, I'm, I, I know about it. I'm used to it. I have some theories about what it really is. Because it all, you know, I've studied and, and considered and asked questions and investigated for so long that there's only certain things it can be. And Occam's razor is really true, right? When you consider the energy shifts, the the waves of energy that we get from solar radiation, from 
uh, EMPs and, and or electromagnetic, yeah, electromagnetic pulses, yeah. and everything is already set up on electromagnetic spectrum. So as these ripples of energy goes through it, what's the subtle energy body going to do? They're going to feel it, right? And it's going to cause them to go, ooh, for a little bit, right? Yeah, I kept thinking it was like brain damage or something. I thought it was like that old injury kicking in. I did in, too initially, but... and no, and, and my wife's had a stroke, so she was really concerned about that. <laughs> we're all um, gaslighting ourselves into that. And, right, well, yeah, we're, it, 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 well, we love Program. castigation, right? Self-castigation especially, right? It's like self-deprecation. Um, we just love it. We thrive on it. And yet there's a language in that that we need to change. We need to be self-explorative, self-empowering, self-acknowledging, self-accepting, right? especially self-forgiving. Yes. That, that's been the hardest one for me, like, you know, self-forgiveness and just forgiveness in general. Like, it's just sometimes it's like easier to remain angry and then you don't have to like face the fact how hurt and like betrayed and you were. Right, right. Well, and speaking of hurt and betrayed, you're going to feel this way because we've got to close. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the oh, show. It, it's been such a pleasure. And thank you for being so authentic and open and honest and vulnerable in, I in try. sharing what you've gone through and how that has helped you and others that are going to be listening shortly. <laughs> I appreciate well, who you are, Beth. And, and thank uh, you for having me. Best uh, and much success to you. And thank thank you. you. You too. Uh, thank you. And namaste and namaste. catch. And thanks for sticking with us for this episode of One World in a New World. I'm Zen Benefield, your host, and I will see you next time.